Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 607 with Todd Henry. Todd has cracked the motivation code and he helps us crack it as well. So you'll learn one, what it really takes to create lasting motivation. Two, how our motivations can distract us and how to curb that. And three, the 27 flavors of motivation. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP607. Now here's Todd's story. Todd Henry teaches leaders and organizations how to establish practices that lead to everyday brilliance. He speaks and consults across dozens of industries on creativity, leadership, and passion for work. He's the author of five books, which have been translated into more than a dozen languages, and he's the longtime host of the Accidental Creative Podcast. Big thanks to Todd for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Todd. Todd, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome About Your Job podcast again. Pete, thanks for having me back. It's so fun to be with you. Oh, yeah. Well, I am, I'm really excited to dig into your wisdom. But first, I want to understand, you've got a secret music album project you've been working on. What's the story here? <laughs> I, I'm really curious how you even know about that because I've only mentioned it very, very briefly, like a couple of times. But yeah, we have a prompt on the form when you book the uh, the interview, which says, "Tell us something nobody knows about you." I stole that from Lisa Cummings, her Strengths podcast, and I was like, "That is so brilliant." I'm using this. <laughs> okay, well, so so I guess I told you then. I guess that's that's how that happened. I don't even remember that. Okay, uh, yeah. So I think maybe we talked about this on the last time I was on the show, but I. Have have a background in the music business. I spent a handful of years after college playing music and traveling and all that. And then frankly, kind of put that on the shelf for a number of years. And then for whatever reason, about seven months ago, right before COVID, I picked up my guitar and I just started writing songs again. And so it's been a really fun what I call unnecessary creating project. That's what I call that discipline is having something in your life you're creating that's not your work, something that's not about you, it's not about your clients. So for the last handful of months, I've been putting together a music project, which is just kind of fun, which by the way, is for my ears only and maybe like family and select friends. So uh, it won't be coming to a Spotify app near you anytime soon, but it's just, you know, it's been fun to really explore that side of my creativity again after 20 years. And to be frank, I'm like really blown away at how different it is recording now versus 
20 years ago. I mean, what I can do now in my home office is the equivalent of what I would have spent 20 grand on in a studio you know, 20 years ago, just because of what's available app wise. So it's pretty cool. Oh yeah, that is wild. I love playing with that stuff. Like the, uh, the Isotope uh, RX-7. Eight is out now, just a few days ago in terms of yeah, well, it, it could dork out, but but I think that sets the stage well. Like, hey, your expertise is creativity, uh, but your latest book is called The Motivation Code. Kind of, what's the what's the connection, or how did you scooch on over into the realm of motivation? Yeah, this was a very unexpected book for me to write. Not just you know in terms of people who've read my work, but for me, it was very unexpected. About four years ago. A friend of mine, Rod Penner, who was a, a veteran of a management consulting firm, he had left the firm several years before, but I didn't know what he was working on. And he just reached out to me and said, hey, I want you to take this motivation assessment I've been working on. And that was in 2016. And I, I don't know about you, Pete, but I'm sort of one of those guys who like kind of rolls my eyes whenever I hear, oh, here's an assessment you should take. Because, you know, I always think like those quizzes in magazines or something like, which Harry Potter house are you a part of? Like, that's what I always kind of think of. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 this is different. You need to take this. And so I did. And frankly, what, what I discovered completely blew my mind. I mean, it just really, really amazed me how accurately this assessment described things like why I make the same mistakes over and over again in my life, why some tasks are unbelievably energizing for me and other tasks are complete drudgery. Like I would stay up four nights in a row until one in the morning to, to do some things, but then you ask me to file some paperwork and it's like, it'll take me three minutes, but like I'll put it off for a week and a half, you know? I mean, just all of these patterns, why I succeeded in some leadership roles and I failed in other leadership roles, all of these patterns were just laid out before me and uh, this assessment was called the motivation code assessment. And so I've got to figure out a way to get this into the world, to get this into other people's hands, because it really transformed so much about the way I see my day-to-day -day work. And I wanted to do that for other people as well. The only problem was I was in the middle of writing a book at the time called Herding Tigers that came out in 2018. So I've been working on this book in the background for about four years. And over the course of that four years, as I dove into the research, realized that this Motivation Code Assessments based on over 50 years of research was started in the 1950s and 60s. And the outcropping of that work has been developed into this assessment by a team of PhDs and researchers over the course of the last several years. And then I became involved in 2016 and we started working on putting together a book to try to bring this to market. And now the book is available. So uh, it's been a long time coming and an unexpected twist, but it's kind of one of those things, I'm sure you've had this happen to you, where when you come across something that is so unbelievably transformative, you just want to tell everybody about it. And that's exactly what happened to me with this research. Well, well, well that is exciting in, in terms of, you, aha, you know, the, the scales have fallen from your eyes and you, you see and recognize patterns and, and explanations for, for what's going on there. And, and indeed, I suppose, why you can accomplish some things quickly and go you know, late into the night and other things, even if they're really a short amount of time, it, you're, you're dragging your feet. And boy, I've had that, that same experience. And I imagine when it comes to creativity, that's huge with regard to, are you motivated to put in that time to do that excellence? Or you're just sort of like, ah, oh, well, you know what? I guess this is a job and I'm contractually obligated to crank it out. So I guess I'll do that now. And it shows up in both how rewarding you feel and meaningful as well as just how much you put in and ultimately the quality of the of the work product. Right, exactly. And and you know, we tend to think 
of motivation as being a binary thing. Either I'm motivated or I'm not, right? But what we've discovered is that it's actually about where you get your motivational energy. But there are different flavors of motivation, or as we call them, there are 27 different themes of motivation, 27 different ways you get your motivational energy. And when you're consistently operating within your top motivational themes or what we call your motivation code, you are more engaged. You are more creative. You will put more discretionary energy into the work because the work itself is giving you energy, right? You're engaging in work that's not draining you of energy. Instead, it's giving you energy. It's feeding your energy, which is a very different way, by the way, of thinking about motivation. This is not the traditional way that we think about being motivated. We say, we just need to get motivated. You just need to you know, psych yourself up. You just need to you know, go out there and make it happen. Well, the reality is often we're working against the way that we're wired when we try to amp ourselves up, we try to motivate ourselves. But if we understand those themes, if we understand what it is that really drives us, we can structure our lives and our work in such a way that we're approaching it according to where we get our motivational energy. And that completely changes the calculation. And the other thing we've discovered is that when you are operating, to your point about creativity, Pete, when you're operating within your motivation code, you're more likely to experience this phenomenon that we call flow, that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi developed and made popular. And flow is that state where you kind of get lost in your work, where the work is challenging enough to kind of keep you engaged, but not so challenging that you lose your interest in it. And we've all had those moments where we just get lost in the work, where we forget time and we're just complete. But what we've discovered is that there's a pretty high degree of correlation between operating in your core motivations, those top three motivations, and experiencing flow in your day-to-day life, which is when you kind of have that sense of getting lost in your work. And of course, that's going to lead to better work when you experience that phenomenon. That's good. That's good. Well, so that all adds up conceptually. Could you maybe share a, a specific story of someone who they came to a new discovery via the motivation code and then, wow, suddenly things were different. They tapped into something big that made a real impact in their, their work and life. Yeah, I'll give you the example that I've been sharing pretty liberally because the example is me. And I'll tell you how discovering this affected me. So my top three motivations, my motivation code are make an impact, meet the challenge and influence behavior, right? Meet the challenge is pretty significant. So make an impact, my number one, is related to the fact that I need to see the direct impact of my work. I have to be able to see that what I'm doing is leaving a mark on the world around me in some capacity. Number two is meet the challenge. That's a pretty close second to make an impact, okay? So here's an example of how this helped me understand something that was going on in my life. So in my entire adult life, Pete, I have probably played a grand total of maybe five hours of video games since I was like 22 years old, okay? So I am now 47. And then about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, uh, my son introduced me to a game called Fortnite. Are you familiar with Fortnite? Yeah, I played Fortnite. I played some Fortnite today, Todd. Okay, there we go. All right, so for those who are not initiated, like Pete and I, Fortnite is a game where basically you're dropped onto an island. You have to basically discover resources and find weapons, and then you have to eliminate other players. And the goal is to be the last person standing, right? Or as they call it, to achieve victory royale. So you want to be the last person standing on the island. So what's great about Fortnite is that it's challenging, right? It's really difficult. You've got 100 other players, all of different skill levels. It's predictable in that there are some pretty clear parameters, but it's also random because what you do depends on what other people do within the game. 
And it's pretty easy to just jump right back in if you get eliminated. So it's it's easy access. And then it's also finite. Like each game, even if you play the entire game, lasts about maybe 20 minutes, 18 to 20 minutes, right? So it's a really short, defined thing. Well, for somebody who's wired to meet the challenge, Fortnite is like a narcotic. And let me explain why. So my son introduced me to this game. He's like, I think you might like it. You should try it. So I load it up on my iPad and I dive onto the island and I land. And I think I lasted me. I like took two steps and boom, I was gone. I was eliminated immediately, right? I was like, that's stupid. Play again. So I immediately go back into the game. This time, I think I lasted maybe like 10 or 15 seconds. By the end of the night, I'd made it like maybe into the top 75. Okay. So I keep playing this game and I'm getting better and I'm getting better and I'm getting better. And finally, about a month and a half later, I'm sitting on the couch. My wife is beside me doing something completely ridiculous, like, you know, unproductive, like reading a book or something, you know, while I'm sitting here playing Fortnite. And so I let out a little whoop. I had just achieved my first victory royale, Pete. I let out a little whoop and my wife said, what happened? And I explained to her and her exact response was, Way to beat that seven-year-old, honey. Way to go. Good job. I, I've never felt so small in my life. But for, for somebody wired to meet the challenge, here's why Fortnite is really dangerous. When I am doing a long arc project, like let's say writing a book, okay, that might seem like a challenge to somebody who's never written a book before. But for me, that just looks like a big long arc project, right? Something that's due in a year does not feel challenging to me. It doesn't feel like an imminent challenge that I need to tackle. So it's really easy for me when I'm working on something like a book project or something else with a long timeline, it's easy for me to say, I'm going to go find something right now I can do that's going to feel like a challenge for me. Fortnite feels like a challenge for me. That's a distraction that I could easily jump into, but there are any number of other things. You know, there are little projects, little things I could be doing that feel like challenges to me right now, but are a distraction from the longer arc work I need to be doing. So you know what I've had to do, Pete, is I've had to say, all right, writing a book is a long arc project. That takes like a year and a half, two years from the time you agree to write the book to the time it hits the market. I need to find ways of establishing little challenges in my work on a day-to-day basis to make sure that my work feels challenging to me. So for me, it's I'm going to write 500 words before nine o'clock a.m., right? Or I'm going to write 500 words between two o'clock and three o'clock PM today. I'm going to write 500 words. That's my challenge today. I have to find ways of instilling challenge in my work because if I don't, I will get distracted by things that are maybe completely frivolous, maybe a waste of my time, but that are satisfying. They're scratching that meet the challenge itch. Another one that's really interesting and unique is, and I hope it's okay that I say this because we actually share this motivation as I've seen your motivation code report is, you know, with make an impact as a podcaster, because, you know, our podcast is downloaded a million times a year. And I know yours is as well, because I know what your stats are, right? So as a podcaster, you put lots of stuff into the world, but you don't often get a lot of feedback about the things you're putting into the world, right? So, one of the challenges for me being wired to make an impact, meaning I need to see the impact of the work I'm making in the world. One of the challenges I experience is that I put things into the world that people don't respond to. And when people aren't responding to what I'm doing, I start wondering, am I doing the right kind of work? Is my work any good? Should I maybe just sell everything and go move into a Trappist monastery or something? Like, does any of this make any sense anymore? Because my motivation 
of making an impact isn't being scratched. And so sometimes I will do things to achieve an impact just to see that I'm making an impact. I'll do things that may or may not be helpful to other people just so I can make an impact or just so I can get some kind of a response from people because that's one of my core motivations. And that's one of the shadow sides that you can sometimes try to create an impact where it's not welcome because that's what you're wired to do. So once I begin to understand these things and how they play out in my life, I mean, one of my other motivations, my number four is actually overcome. That means I like to work against an enemy, but that means sometimes, Pete, that I invent enemies where they don't exist, or I invent obstacles to overcome where they don't exist. And sometimes that can be a waste of energy or a waste of focus. So once I begin to understand how these motivations play out in my life, I began to structure my days, my life, my schedule in a way that was more meaningful. And that actually allowed me to, to scratch that motivational itch or to get my energy in the right place every day so that my work wasn't draining to me as much as it was energizing to me. Now, Every motivation is positive, but every motivation also has a shadow side. So once I began to understand some of those shadow side tendencies that I just described, I could notice, oh, wait a minute, you know what? I'm in a little bit of a funk right now. Does my work feel challenging to me? If not, how could I create a challenge right now? You know what? I'm in a little bit of a funk right now. Am I making an impact and seeing the impact of my work? If not, then maybe I need to find a way to get some feedback about what I'm doing right now. Or for example, I started creating a folder of feedback letters that people would send me or emails people would send me that I can go back and review where people have written to me about what my work means to them. Because in those moments where I'm not getting, I'm not scratching that motivational itch, it helps me to see, oh, my work is having impact. I'm still having an impact on people. I just need to remind myself of that. So it's allowed me to structure my life and my days, my work in a way that is more consistent with how I'm wired to get my energy. And it's really made all the difference in the world in my life. Well, well, that's powerful. Yesterday, I was just going to ask, so I'm glad you shared. So if you're if you're not feeling that make an impact with your Invisible Podcast audience, how are you getting there? And and so you check out the folders. And, and it, it's true. Like I have times where, well, I just naturally think it's fun to chat with people like you and learn stuff. But sometimes I don't think it's so much fun to like hunker down like, okay, what are the teasers? What's in the opener? What's in the closer? You know, like to actually take a conversation and then get it across the finish line to, and this is an episode that stands alone and is consumable, digestible and friendly to pop up and listen to. Like, like that is not as much fun for me than chat with folks like you and learning stuff that I like. So then motivation can fall a bit short. And, and it's so true when I just think about the impact that I make. I had a one of my favorite comments from a listener was, um, I wake up every morning early so I can listen to it twice. <laughs> or like for me to think about, because I mean, there's some content I love too. I don't know if I've ever loved anything that much. <laughs> I mean, Breaking Bad was so awesome for me, but I, I never woke up early to, <laughs> to, to watch it twice. So, so that's so cool. And then I even had a little printout in terms of well, you know, hey, what does it mean to have like 20,000 folks and like demographically in terms of, you know, male versus female. So I just sort of had images, little icons that would represent, you know, 20,000 people and sort of looked at it. And sure enough, it helped. And, and then it got torn up by my toddler. So I should make another one. Uh <laughs> but yeah, but see, that's that's classic behavior of somebody driven to by that motivation, make an impact is you want to see a visible representation of the people that you're impacting because you can't see them, right? Even right now, people don't know this because we're not recording the video, but we're actually looking at each other. So 
Typically, I don't experience that when I'm recording an audio podcast, but I have no doubt that one of the reasons why you want that feedback is partly related to the way that you get your motivational energy, right? Because of wanting to connect with the person on the other side in some capacity. Uh, absolutely, yes. And, and it seems like folks just, they can feel more that I'm on their side because I think I'm, I'm hopefully giving you some smiles here and there. Because sometimes I think it can sound like a grilling or an interrogation. <laughs> like, give me your best wisdom now. <laughs> give me another example. Give me the data behind it. Have you really thought through that? You know, so like if I'm coming across that way, I want to be able to reassure them like, oh no, hey, Todd, it's just Pete. who I'm really interested in your stuff. So that's why I'm, I'm asking these questions. So that's what I'm going for. Well, so then you mentioned a number of these, these themes and terms and, and boy, we could spend, I'm sure, uh, multiple hours just laying those out. So maybe... Why don't we just do the list? Because that'll tee up my next couple questions. Could you take two or three seconds now to just name them all? And maybe they come into some clusters? They do, yeah. So again, this research has been conducted over the course of 50 years. We've had over a million achievement stories shared. And the language that comprises the motivation code assessment actually was parsed from those million achievement stories. That's where we discovered the patterns of where people described what it is that was motivating to them about their achievements. And so they break down generally into six families, six families of motivations. What we say is while they are in a family because they share some DNA, they're also very different in terms of how they play out in your life. So even though they're in a family, that doesn't mean that they all behave the same. For example, like if you have siblings, you know, you share DNA, but you probably look different and you probably have different personalities and different things you're interested in. And that's kind of the same way that these motivational themes exist with one another, but are very different. So the first family is what we call the visionary family. And generally the visionary family is focused on the future. They're focused on what's next. Sometimes they struggle to be present, right? Because they're always thinking about what's coming up. Actually, one of your top themes is a visionary family theme, which is experience the ideal, right? Another one is make an impact, which also is one of your motivational themes and then achieve potential is the third motivational theme that falls in the visionary family. And then we have the team player family. And as you can imagine, team player family themes are all about being with other people, being a part of something great. They really get their energy from the collective effort. That's really where they get their motivational drive. By the way, these themes tend to be pretty low on my motivations. Generally speaking, I, I tend to be somebody who's motivated to work by myself and to work alone. And I like that. It's great. Uh, with the exception of our first theme, which is influence behavior, which actually is pretty high on my list. So influence behavior, serve, collaborate, and make the grade are the four themes that fall under team player. The next family is called the optimizer family. And people who are motivated in this way tend to be people who are good at taking something and making it great. So taking something that might be operating okay and making it great, perfecting it, tweaking it. They tend to love working with systems and trying to squeeze maximum efficiency out of systems. So you have the themes improve, organize, develop, make it work, establish, and make it right. And then we have the achiever family. The achiever family is driven about moving forward, about persevering, about accomplishing things. And the themes in the achiever family are bring to completion, meet the challenge, advance, and overcome. And then the final two theme, or two families, I should say, are the key contributor family. Key contributor family, these are the people who like to be at the center of the action. They like to be the people making stuff happen. So you've got excel, bring control, be central, gain ownership, be unique, and evoke recognition. 
then the final family is the learner family. And these are people who love to explore. They're people who love to ask questions. These are the people who often get into conflict with the achiever family when they're working on a project together because they're asking, why are we doing this? And let's, let's try seven other ways before we settle on one. And the achiever family, people are like, let's just get it done, right? But the themes that fall under the learner family are explore, master, demonstrate new learning, and comprehend and express. So that is all 27 themes in a nutshell and all of the, the six families along with them. Well, so I guess what where that leads me next is that's a nice rundown. And, and we can see that, yes, those those are different. And, and so at mine, you know, I've, I've got them scored from, you know, the top 10 experience the ideal and then make an impact 9.6. And then on mine on the bottom, evoke recognition 5.2 and make it right 5.1 which is true. I, I don't really care about doing things the right way. In fact, I, I kind of like it if we're, we're, we're breaking new innovative territory and it's like, that's not how it's done. It's like, yeah, I know. And I love it. <laughs> you know, so, so that doesn't really motivate me. Like, like with it comes to like accounting stuff, like I'm not going to, you know, commit fraud <laughs> or, or anything, but that doesn't fire me up. Like, oh man, we just really stated those financials perfectly in accordance with gap. Like, oh, I don't care. As long as I'm obeying the law and not, you know, being a, a, a taker or uh, whatever, I'm all good. So I, I guess my, my question is, well, I think that's a mark of a good assessment is, is I read the top results and I say, yes, but of course, and aren't we all this way? Right. Of course. Yeah. And I want to get your vibe in terms of, is it fairly evenly distributed across the population or are there some folks who make it right? Is there number one? And there are just as many of them as there are of me. Oh, absolutely. No question. And not only that, but there are people, uh, I mean, we've, we've given this assessment now to tens of thousands of people. What we've discovered is that there are people with every one of these motivational themes as their top theme in almost any role you can imagine, right? Because it's not like, oh, if your number one is experience the ideal, then you should be a podcaster. It's about what you bring to your work, not about the work that you do specifically. Now, let's say that you are an accountant, right? As you just mentioned, and let's say that your top theme is collaborate, which we have certainly had accountants who are high on collaborate. And let's say during tax season, you're stuck in a cubicle doing work, cranking out tax returns in a cubicle by yourself for eight hours a day, you're probably going to go into a funk and maybe not even know why. You might think you hate your job. You don't hate your job. What you hate about your job right now is the fact that you have no human interaction for eight hours a day and you are fundamentally wired to get your energy from collaborating with other people. So where this is very helpful is in parsing the difference between I hate my job or I hate my tasks and I hate the way I'm approaching my job or they, I hate the way I'm approaching my tasks. Those are fundamentally different things. So if that is your job and for example, you're wired to collaborate, so you're going to be in a cube cranking through tax returns all day for eight hours a day, you need to be disciplined about saying, you know what? I'm either going to A, find a way to maybe find another teammate that I can do these tax returns with or in proximity with, or B, I'm going to structure a social lunch every day. I'm going to take a break in the middle of my day and I'm going to have a social lunch where I get to interact with people, talk about things. We get to collaborate on what's working, what's not working, so that I at least have some motivational reprieve from these tasks that are going to drain me by the very nature of the task because of the way I'm wired. Now, somebody else, to your point, who's wired, say, for establish or you know, to make it right, they might love just being in a cubicle all day, just getting it right. That's all they care about. If the numbers balance, 
I am experiencing nirvana because that's how they're wired. It doesn't matter if anybody's around them. They just want to experience getting it right or making things the way they're supposed to be. So this is where the differences between motivational themes and how you score on on the motivational assessment. This is how it makes a difference in terms of how you approach your work. It's not so much about the tasks you do. We spend so much time looking for the perfect job, Pete, and that is like chasing vapor. There is no perfect job. Any job you do is going to have tasks you don't enjoy. But if you learn what drives you, what motivates you, you can begin to structure how you approach your job in a more meaningful way, in a way that will allow you to activate those core motivations more intentionally, more purposefully, and more consistently. And when you begin to approach your work that way, suddenly you're going to find, I'm enjoying my job. I've always hated my job, but suddenly I find that I'm enjoying my tasks more. Well, it's because you're thinking about how to more strategically approach your work according to your motivational types instead of waiting for your job to scratch your motivational itch, which it's probably not going to do with few exceptions. Yeah, it really is pretty eye-opening there in terms of what I'm drawn to and then what I'm not. And and sometimes it's sort of like in running a business, it's like for the goal of running a profitable business, I know that if using the metric of expected profit generated per hour demanded of me is the optimizing metric to utilize to get the most of that result. Right. And, and sometimes that is quite motivating in terms of I say, oh, wow, look, look, there's a really big opportunity to make a big impact go after it. And sometimes it's just sort of like, yeah, I know there's profit there, but I just don't really care. <laughs> and so it's actually hard for me to find the discipline to do the things that I quote should be doing when there's just not a lot, a lot of motivational code alignment um, embedded within them. As I'm just looking right now, because you gave me permission, I'm looking at your top motivations. That's not what's going to drive you. If you were driven to gain ownership, for example, or if you were driven by any number of the Achiever family themes, you would be somebody who's like, I don't care how many podcast downloads I have, as long as I have more than that person over there, right? Like that would be what drives you. I don't care how many downloads I have, as long as it's 20% more than what I had last year. That's how you would be wired, but that's not what your motivational themes tell me about what matters to you. Those aren't the things that you're measuring. The challenge is the things that are motivating you are a little more difficult to measure, right? I have a feeling that you're never 100% satisfied with any episode that you put out in some capacity. Is that true or is that false? That's absolutely true. Sometimes I don't like to listen to them too closely because then I'll start. Because you're judging yourself. (laughs) Critiquing the bejesus out of them. Yeah. And part of that is the experience, the ideal motivation, which is your top motivation, meaning that you are still chasing the perfect podcast episode, which is why your listeners love you, by the way. That's why you have raving fans. It's why you have amazing swag for your show. It's why all of these things is because you're trying to create the best possible version of what a podcast could be, which is fantastic. The problem is that you can't really ever get there, right? Because that's sort of an idealized understanding of what a podcast is. And so as you're chasing that, the goalposts just kind of keep moving. But that also energizes, I would assume that really energizes you as well. The idea of chasing after the ideal version of a podcast is probably something that really energizes you. 
Absolutely, yes. And, and so experience the ideal, this is maybe more for me, but uh, so that's, that's both about experiencing, making real my ideals and my, my values and, and such, as well as experiencing the ideal, am I using this philosophy term right? The platonic form, huh? Maybe, huh? of podcast <laughs> to make the ideal podcast is part of the game. In addition to the fact that making this podcast speaks to the values that I hold dear. Yes, absolutely. So what gives you joy is the process of creating the thing that was in your head and putting it into the world and then obviously making an impact because that's your number two, but seeing the impact of the thing that you're putting into the world. But it's the process of doing that that really gives you joy of chasing after those ideals, of chasing after the vision that you have in your head right? That's what really gives you joy. And so some of the traditional metrics that we use to determine success or failure around podcasting or any business, quite frankly, are not the things that give you joy. With somebody else, quite frankly, they don't care what they're putting out. The numbers are going up. They're great with it. Or if they have 20% more than they had last year, great. That's all that matters. That's what gives you all the energy I need, you know? And so when you ask the question, well, aren't we all kind of like this? Well, we're all motivated by a blend of themes and all the themes modify one another, but we each have sort of a unique code that really describes where we are when we're operating in our sweet spot, right? And so when we begin to understand that and understand how these top three to five themes really play together in our life, it begins to explain some of these patterns, some of the things, the tendencies that we have, some of the, the ways that we maybe get ourselves into trouble sometimes, but also those moments when we feel really, really alive. It explains for me why I cry every time I see The Pursuit of Happiness or Rudy or some of these movies, right? It's because, well, overcome is one of my top themes. Of course, I'm going to be motivated and moved by some story of somebody overcoming the odds. Of course I am. Whereas somebody else thinks, that's really cheesy. What do you mean? Why do you, what are you talking about, right? But like, yeah, that, that really, it doesn't just move me. It moves me to my core. And I never had terminology to explain that before, but now suddenly I realized that's because that's how I'm motivated. That's where I get my energy. But well, yeah, when you talk about like movies and, and, and strong emotions, like, well, hey, I'm a big advocate for, hey, man, do some introspection and reflection on that stuff. It's telling you something. And it's funny. So, so my favorite movie is Life is Beautiful. And if you think about, oh, geez, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. If you think about the ideal of a father, wow. I mean, what that guy does for his kid. It's hard to imagine a more challenging circumstance and an ideal response to it for a child. Wow. There you have it. I'm going to have a sip of water, Todd. <laughs> and see, I have no reaction to that. See, that's what's interesting. It's like you're tearing up thinking about it, whereas I'm tearing up thinking about like Rudy and, and all these like overcomer movies because that's such a core part of my motivation, right? And so in, in many ways, these motivational themes help us define things that we've always sensed but never had language for, which is what makes it so powerful and, and also so practical because then not only do we understand it, but we actually have some stuff we can do about it, right? To make sure that we're experiencing them more consistently. That's great. Well, so, so Todd, let, let's see. So folks who want their motivation code, they, they, they get the book or what's the 
easiest cost of most cost effective way to get as many of the goodies as they can get. <laughs> yeah. So there is a, a version of the assessment in the book. It's a free version of the assessment that basically gives you your top three themes, tells you what your top three themes are when you take the assessment. So if you go to themotivationcode.com or just anywhere you can get books, you can buy the book. And in there, there's a link to uh, take you to the free version of the assessment to give you your top themes. We also have, like you took, P, we have a full version of the assessment that you can take as well. But as a good starting point, I think the free version of the assessment will give you your top three themes and really begin the journey of understanding more of what it is that, that moves you to action. And so it sounds like to summarize that the general parameter here is you get that understanding of, of what are your, your top motivational themes, and then you start looking for ways you can align more of your work and life with that. And it, it may involve trying to do different tasks, or it may just be change the way you're doing your existing tasks. Unquestionably, and, and there's an entire chapter in the book that's based on, okay, so now what, right? Because, you know, again, we've all taken assessments and then we sort of attach some letters to our name. You're like, hi, I'm an INTP, you know, you. That's fine. Not always very practical, not always very useful. So really what we wanted to do was make sure that the book explain to people, okay, well, what do you do about this? And one of the things we know for certain is that we learn and we grow best in community. And so one of the things we recommend is talking to somebody else about what you're discovering. Hey, Pete, I just discovered that my top motivation is making impact. And I've noticed that I'm in kind of a funk lately because I'm not seeing a lot of the impact in my work. And I just want to talk about that with you. Or, hey, this thing came up and it didn't really seem to make sense for me. I mean, we, we do have that happen from time to time where people, I was given a workshop a handful of months ago and somebody was kind of arguing with me, like the th specific theme was be unique. And they said, yeah, but I'm, I don't have a drive to be unique. Like I don't wear weird clothes and I don't have like spiked pink hair. I don't really have that drive to be unique. And, and this person happened to be a, a pastor. And I said, well, tell me about what you do. He said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor and I, I give talks. Every week. I said, okay, tell me this. If, if I told you I'm going to write a sermon for you and I want you just to kind of go out and read that sermon or deliver that sermon, you're going to deliver it however you want, but you're going to use the words that I give you and you're going to use the terminology I give you. Would that be satisfying to you? He's like, no, because what I say has to be a unique expression of how I see the world and who I am. And I said, you just used the phrase in describing back to me. You know, he's like, you're arguing that be unique isn't your motivation, but you're using that exact phrase to describe back to me what it is that drives you. And so sometimes people, when they first discover what their motivational themes are, they don't necessarily understand what it means to them. And then in the course of talking with others about it, they suddenly realize, oh, this does make sense because people can reflect back to them what they see in their life in a way that helps them contextualize what these motivations actually mean in terms of how they're playing out in their day-to-day -day life. So that's one of the things that is really important. And listen, we learn and grow in the context of community anyway. I need you, Pete, you need me in order to really fully see ourselves. Like we do, because we all have blind spots. And so that's one of the main things I wanna make sure people take away from this is don't just go do this and then say, oh, okay, that was interesting and walk away from it. But instead talk about it with someone else and invite them to speak into your life as well and say, hey, where do you see this playing out in my life? How do you see these things playing out? And what do you think I can do to better position myself to experience these motivational themes more consistently? That's good. That's good. Todd, any final thoughts before we shift gears to hear about some of your favorite things? I think the main thing is 
just recognize that, especially if you manage people or if you're somebody in a role where you have organizational responsibility, I think traditionally we have relied on blunt force methods to motivate people, whether that be pay raises, words of encouragement, you know, flexibility, things like that. And the reality is those things work for a season and then everybody reverts to the mean. They, they don't last because they're blunt force. If you want to engage your team and if you want to engage the people around you, the absolute best way to do that is they understand the specific code that unlocks their motivation and you owe it to them. If you're a manager of people, you owe it to your team to understand what it is that uniquely drives them and, and brings their best work out on a day-to-day basis. All right. Thank you. Now, could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah. So my favorite quote in the world is actually from Thomas Merton. I don't have it in front of me, so I might get it wrong, but it's, there can be an intense egoism in following everyone else. People are in a hurry to magnify themselves by imitating what is popular and too lazy to think of anything better. Hurry ruins saints as well as artists. They want quick success and they're in such a hurry to get it. They cannot take time to be true to themselves. And when the madness is upon them, they justify their haste as a species of integrity. So what's interesting to me about that is they want quick success and they're in such a hurry to get it. They cannot take time to be true to themselves. I think we have so many people around us who are in a hurry to become successful to the point that they forget who it is they are and what they value. And in the end, they may achieve what they were going for and realize it's hollow because they abandon everything that they value in order to accomplish it. And so I'm a firm believer that who you're becoming is much more important than whatever it is you're accomplishing in your life. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? In the book, I talk about the work of Dietschy and Ryan and, and some of the work that they did in exploring motivation and kind of how motivation plays out in our day-to-day life. And they were some of the first people to discover that any kind of extrinsic motivation imposed upon someone, extrinsic motivation meaning something that you sort of do to prompt motivation. So it could be a pay raise or words of encouragement, things of that nature, is short-lived, very short-lived and, and, and doesn't last for very long. In fact, even words of encouragement over time eventually lose their impact on people because people grow used to them. So if you're going to use that, if you're going to use either pay raises or words of encouragement, you better be prepared to continue doling out more and more raises, more and more words of encouragement over time, because eventually they will lose their impact because that's just the way that we're wired as, as human beings. And a favorite book? So right now I'm reading a book called Why Information Grows, which is blowing my mind, but it is about why information specifically on earth, why information grows here, but it doesn't grow in other places in the universe. And it all has to do with, I won't go into the specifics, but it all has to do with the fact that information is encoded much more readily in solids than it is in gases. And our planet is, the conditions are just right for the right kinds of solids to exist to allow us to encode information. And so it's a really fascinating book. It's a little technical, but a really fascinating book. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? The uh, Tecto Planner by Hobonichi is my favorite little tool. I use it for journaling. I use it for tracking my dailies. It's really like the perfect little notebook as a, a little paper planner to sort of carry around and use to help organize my life and my work. And a favorite habit, something you do. So I may have mentioned this on the last episode, but about 17 years ago, I began a habit of everyday study uh, in the morning. Uh, it's the first thing I do in the morning. I get up and I read and I spend some time thinking and writing in the morning. And it has fundamentally transformed my life. 
if you want to learn how to think systemically, if you want to learn how to see bigger patterns, if you want to advance in your career, if you want to have better relationships, the absolute best thing you can do is make an investment in your intellectual self. And that begins by having a regimen of regular study in your life. And is there a particular nugget you share that really connects and, and resonates with the folks that quote it back to you frequently? Yeah. So the, it's funny, the one thing that was like a, an off the cuff article I wrote like five years ago, the title was don't let your rituals become ruts. And that is the most quoted thing on the internet for some reason, I think because the get momentum app on Chrome uses it as one of their screensavers, but I see it tweeted more than anything else. But I think the thing probably that I'm seeing resonate most often is I wrote a book called Die Empty, which is really about making sure that you're not taking your best work to the grave with you. And I'm seeing that growing in momentum around the world. Actually, it's fun. I'm seeing it. It's been translated into, I forget how many languages now, but it's really cool to see people talking about, like, I'm not going to take my best work to the grave with me. I'm not going to take my best work to the grave with me. And, and that's been kind of a fun thing to see growing as, as a movement around the world. That is cool. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, if you want to know more about Motivation Code, just go to motivationcode.com is the best place uh, to learn all about the assessment and the book itself and the company. And you can find me at toddhenry.com and also my podcast, The Accidental Creative, wherever you listen to podcasts. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. Listen, the work that you do, the things that you produce, that really, really important project you're working on right now. I mean, no offense, but nobody's probably going to remember that in a hundred years. I'm sorry, but they're not. I'm sorry, Pete. Nobody's gonna, probably going to remember your podcast or my podcast or any of my books or any of that stuff in a hundred years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say that. But listen, the impact that you have on the people around you will resonate for generations to come. You don't have a responsibility to change the world, but you do have a responsibility to change the world around you. So be the kind of person who makes echoes in the lives of others. And if you make echoes in the lives of others, those echoes are going to resound for generations to come. And generations from that, there's a great quote says, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. As you create echoes in the lives of other people, generations down the line, people are going to be sitting under a tree that you planted that you had no idea was even planted, right? So just be the kind of person and be the kind of leader who makes echoes. Todd, this has been awesome. I, I wish you all the best in your adventures. Thanks so much, Pete. And thanks again for having me on the show. I really love what Todd had to say here in many ways. And I've been reflecting a lot about my motivation code, experience the ideal. And it's really powerful in terms of even if there's something you don't want to do, I can experience the ideal in some different ways. Maybe I can experience the ideal chair that I'm sitting in while I'm doing it and appreciate that. Maybe I can experience the ideal setup of windows on the computer. Maybe I can experience the ideal form of hydration. I don't know, like, like just the right amount or, or just the most delicious beverage or the ideal desktop upon which I'm doing my work. It, it's, it's interesting how I could figure out a way I can scratch that itch a little bit. And it's also a good warning in terms of, we talked a little bit about audio quality. I went on this quest associated with microphones and it was, it got a little bit out of hand, just how many just how many different microphones I tried and was testing them and, and getting sort of blind tests with multiple people, you know, audio folks and, and others. And I went through all of this and some were very expensive. And, and wouldn't you know it, after all of that, the setup I've been using for four years tied a very expensive setup in blind testing in terms of audio quality. So 
that's a lot of time I didn't really need to spend when I was already sounding, I guess, pretty good on the microphone, at least selection part of the audio equation. So yeah, I wanted to experience the ideal and have you experience the ideal and burned a lot of time when in fact, nobody was complaining about the quality of my audio. Sometimes the guests, you didn't sound as good. And we've gotten that tightened up a bit by sending them headsets when necessary. But I could have been experiencing the ideal in a more strategically wise way, as opposed to an obsessive way, because I just got so motivated. It was in my head, like, I'm going to nail this. <laughs> so good stuff on the shadow side as well, motivation. So, so again, the show notes, the transcript, the links as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP607. And if you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe to catch our next guest, Tracy Tim. She is a career coach who is super legit and has a lot of real treats, including how to identify your core values in one hour flat with great specificity and resonance for yourself. So I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.